Let's pray. Lord, we're sure are grateful for the message of that song. To know that because of what Christ has done for us at the cross, that there's nothing, not one thing, anybody in this room has done that can make them a permanent outcast from you. And Lord, I pray that uh, nobody would leave this worship service. Nobody would ever leave the gathering of this body of Christ. Would ever leave and not know the love and the acceptance and the grace of God. Your forgiveness and the opportunity that you give to walk in a, in a new and a holy life. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for accepting us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In eternity past. Well, that's quite a phrase, isn't it? What, what does that even mean? Well, well it's more than a, just a long, long time ago. Be, before anything was created, there was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Godhead had a plan, a plan to create, to create everything, everything that you and I call the universe. That, that creation included things as big and vast as black holes and stars and comets and asteroids. It included all that, and it comes all the way down to, to butterflies, and fish and flowers, mountains and trees. And in the vastness of this great creation... God also had a plan to create a, a very unique, a very specific creature. A creature that would be created in His own likeness. A creature that would be much like Him. A, a creature that could think, that could act. A creature that could choose. That's by design, not evolution. Now, for us to have the ability to choose... There has to be a choice, right? And so we had the choice to trust our Creator and, and leave ourselves under His care, His provision, and under His guidance, under His rule. Or we had the choice to step out of that rule and say, you know what, I, I think I can do better on my own. I, I think I've got a better design on this than He does. I think I can handle things better myself and step out from under that. It's called sin. And sin brings death. Sin brings separation. Can that ever be fixed? Can that ever be restored? Because the creature is you. And every one of us has made that decision. Well, in and of ourselves, no, it can't be fixed. But in eternity past, the Son said, I will go. I'll, I'll put on the limitations of that creature so that I can pay the penalty. They'll still have that free will. They'll still have that choice. But I'll pay the penalty for what they did with it. He would come and He would die. He would pay the penalty for that sin. And now we can choose to place ourselves back under our Creator and our Savior. The relationship restored. Life given back. It's a plan. Now, fast forward. 
five, six, seven thousand years. It's a Thursday evening. Jesus has just had dinner with his closest friends, his closest followers. As Jesus rises up from that dinner, he steps into this moment. This moment planned in eternity past. I'm not sure, no matter what I try to do to explain it, we can even fathom the enormity of this moment as Jesus gets up from the Last Supper. Gosh, what do you do as you step into a moment like that? Well, let's look and see what he did. Would you turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 22? Luke chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I hope you'll use one of ours there in the pew to read along and to study. We're in Luke Luke chapter 22, I'm going to begin reading in verse 39. Luke 22, verse 39, it says, He went out and he made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, suddenly a mob was there. Jesus handled the moment planned in ages past with prayer and with surrender. Now, before we understand a little bit more about this passage, we need to understand why this passage is here. Matter of fact, why is any passage in the Bible there? The purpose of the Bible is not history. Now, the Bible gives us a ton of history. And everything it speaks to historically, it speaks with 100% accuracy. Evidence has never done anything but prove its historical truthfulness. But that's not its purpose. There's a lot of history it it doesn't record. For instance, the Bible tells us, historically speaking, nothing about the life of Jesus between the age of about 12 and 30. Wouldn't you like to know? I would. What was he doing? The Bible doesn't tell us that. Because the purpose of the Bible is not to give us a blow-by-blow account of every historical event. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal God. The purpose of God's Word is to reveal who He is, who we are, who and what we have in Him. The life He planned, the life He designed for us. And as God reveals this, He uses pieces of history to build that story. He uses pieces of history to make that case. 
And so there are things we don't know about Jesus. There are things that he did that are not even recorded. John chapter 20 verse 30 tells us that. Now, knowing that not everything is in here, historically speaking, that makes you ask the question, so why is what is in here historically? Why is it there? It's there to reveal God. It's there to teach and to communicate. In other words, folks, as you and I open up this very familiar story of Jesus entering the Garden of Gethsemane, it is not there just so you and I would know what Jesus was doing right before he was arrested. Historically speaking, that's the question it answers, but that's not why God chose to put this story here. It is to teach. It is to communicate. It is to model something for our lives. How did Jesus face the moment of all moments? With prayer. With surrender. How are you and I to face our moments? With prayer. And surrender. Let's see if we can understand this passage a little bit more. This is a, a passage in Scripture, and there's several of them like this for me, and I've said this, something like this before. This is a passage I almost feel uncomfortable reading. I feel like I'm invading. I, I feel like I'm watching a very intense, very personal, very private moment between a father and a son. This shouldn't be for public consumption. Except that the father wanted me to know. Wanted you to see. Jesus has just left the upper room. He's gone with his disciples out to the Mount of Olives into this garden we know as the Garden of Gethsemane. While they're making their way there, Judas has gone to hook up with the soldiers. And in a moment, Judas and the soldiers will be there. As I said, Jesus knows this moment, this moment planned in eternity past is here. It's now. And he enters his garden and he tells his disciples, I want you to pray. And notice what he tells them to pray for. I mean, if this is me, if I'm Jesus, you know what I'm saying to pray for? Me! Me! I know what's about to happen. He doesn't say pray for me. Jesus says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He knows everything that is about to happen. And he says, pray that you don't enter into temptation Lesson number one in prayer. When God tells you to pray, you should pray. And my friend, in every bit, the same way that we see Jesus telling His disciples here to pray, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit have commanded, have told you and I to pray. To pray that we would not enter into temptation. Because daily, you and I will be bombarded with the temptation to not believe. Bombarded with the temptation to not trust. Bombarded with the temptation to believe that I know better, I know more, I have a hold of this thing. We'll be tempted to believe that God's not there, that God doesn't care. God knows what is going to happen and He says, pray that you do not enter into temptation. Jesus knows what is about to happen and He says, pray. Gosh, what would happen with our attitude toward the Bible 
If every time we opened this book, every time we read its commands, read its stories, looked at its principles, we realized God is telling me this because He knows what is about to happen. See, everything here is it's for my good. It's my life. It's my well-being. God knows what's going to happen, so He says, everything in here, pray. Scripture goes on to say that, that Jesus withdrew from them about a, a stone's throw. I don't know, how, how far is that? Here to maybe outside the foyer there. Shoulders a little sore. 30 yards, 40 yards. That word withdraw, it literally means to, to pull away. It has an idea of aloneness about it. But now here's the thing about this word. It has more of an emotional connotation than a physical connotation. I mean, he withdraws from his disciple. He, he's here. They're, they're out there in the foyer. They're, they're 30, 40 yards away. But I mean, he's not alone. Not physically speaking. They're just right there. But emotionally, he is completely alone. He is completely and totally alone in knowing what is about to happen. Completely alone in what he is carrying. And the story tells us that, that Jesus knelt. That doesn't stand out a whole bunch to us, does it? He knelt. Well, that's sure. That's what you do when you pray, right? That's what you and I think of when we see this position. We, we would think somebody's praying. But you know, in, in Old Testament times and in the first century right here, the Jewish custom of praying was not by kneeling. They, they prayed standing up. The scripture notes that he, he knelt. This is a humble position, isn't it? And you don't pick a fight with anybody on your knees. You, you wouldn't try to make a point or defend something on your knees. This, this is a, a position of, of humbleness. The act of prayer is one of humbleness. I mean, folks, we've got to see this. The Son of God, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the judge of the living and the dead... Takes on humbleness. So unlike us, isn't he? We're very prideful. And to my amazement, I can be prideful in prayer. So can you. I can enter prayer and think the only issue here is me. I need this. I need you to do that. And I need you to make everybody around me a part of the same thing as me and my well being. It's all about me, Lord. And, and, and God, I'm not even sure you know what's going on. Because I do. And you don't seem to be lining up with my knowledge of what is going on. Lesson number three in prayer. Take on humility. You don't know everything. You don't know. You rise. You never know what is going to happen next. You don't have a plan, a desire, or an agenda that takes into account everything, everyone, in all situations. God does. That doesn't mean that everything we're praying about is wrong or bad or wouldn't be a good thing and that God's not going to say yes to. But you and I never pray knowing fully what is going on and what is about to happen. God does. So Jesus prays this prayer that we're all very familiar with. 
He says, Father, I don't want to go there. I, I, I don't want to taste this cup. But it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. Lesson number three in prayer. There's something better than what I want. It's what God wants. That's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? As American Idol's Simon Cow would say, if I'm being honest. Boy, folks, if we're being honest, when we pray, my focus, my interest, it's not on what God wants. It's on what I want. We're not talking about what you want being bad. We're talking about an attitude. And if we're being honest, it's so much about what I want. Instead of wanting to know what God wants, which is always better. Now, as Jesus prays, and, and obviously there is a, there's a little bit of difference between Jesus praying and you and I praying. Jesus knows what's coming next, and Jesus knows what the Father wants. He's not saying, God, what do you want here? What, what are we going to do next? What he's saying is, God, I don't want to taste that cup of suffering. That's my desire. That's what, I, that's what I'm thinking right now in this moment. I don't want to taste that. Boy, you know, this is such a reminder, folks, that... That all sin is paid for. You know, I think in our human nature, and we've said this a lot of times, you know, we, we have big sins and small sins, and, and I think we think that sometimes God doesn't probably care. I mean, He doesn't care about my sins because my sins are so small, so unimportant. And I think sometimes in our mind, when, when we see God forgiving us, He's saying, Ah, oh, you did your best. Don't worry about it. Ah, oh, that's, that's water under the bridge. Oh, that was, a, that was a little thing. Man, no big deal. Come on, we're friends. God never is doing that. God has never overlooked a single sin. It's not because He's strict. It's not because He's mean. You know why He's never overlooked a single sin? Because He's fair. How many of you ever said, That's not fair! Every person in this room wants Fairness, But folks, fairness means wrongs are made right. Wrongs are paid for. In His holiness, He never has ever looked at a sin and said, Ah, no, the sin was paid for. The sin was paid for when you and I took the opportunity to place ourselves not only under a Creator, but a Savior. And as the wrath of God was poured out on our sin, Jesus was, well, gosh, an umbrella is the only word I can think of. I placed myself under Jesus, and as the wrath of heaven was poured out on sin, I was safe. Jesus wasn't, but I was safe. And that's our choice today. I can choose to place myself under the Savior. Or I can choose to think, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. I've got a hold of this thing. I'm all right. I'm ready to stand before God. You know, the Scripture gives us a, a brief picture, a definition, a description of this cup that Jesus says, I don't want to taste that. In Revelation 14, verse 10, it says, He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is mixed full strength in the cup of His anger. 
He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. You do not want to drink from this cup. I mean, let's put it in perspective, folks. Jesus, the Son of God, who has all power, all strength, all ability, He didn't want to drink from it. What should that say to to you and I? But what do you want, God? What do you want? So what was God's answer? I mean, Jesus has just prayed, Lord, I, I would prefer not to taste that cup, but I want what you want. Did God answer? He sure did. That's why I read verse 47. And then the mob showed up. When that mob comes into the garden, the son hears his father say, No, my son. You have to drink the cup. I believe the father's heart tore when he said that. You know, I I believe God has told me and told you no sometimes, and it hurt him when he told us no. But you know what? Sometimes the no is better. Sometimes the no is more important. Now, no was not the Father's only answer. I mean, you see there where the angel showed up, ministered to him, strengthened him. You see, folks, God may tell you no in something. That doesn't mean, no, I'm not interested in doing that for you. If the Lord tells you no, he's still involved in that prayer. He sends the help. He sends the wisdom. He sends the provision. He sends the strength for that which He told you know about so you can walk through it. Now see, Jesus trusted all this. See, the reason Jesus could surrender is because He trusted His Father was saying, this is what I want, but I want what you want more. He trusted His Father to say, I want what you want more. Lesson number four, folks, is prayer is an opportunity to take our desires to the Lord and work them out with Him so we can surrender them. Now, obviously, trust is imperative. You know, this passage to me is a good illustration of that very short phrase in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. that says we walk by faith and not by sight. Think about what Jesus could see. He could see the soldiers. He could see the beating. He could see the blood. He could see the death. He could see the separation from his father. He could see hell. He could see all of that. And he would prefer not to go through it. But he trusts his father. He trusted his father in heaven more than what he saw right in front of him. So Jesus gets up from this time of prayer. He goes over to his disciples and they're asleep. (laughs) Can you imagine being Jesus in that moment? Knowing what you're dealing with, knowing what you're carrying and you walk up and your best friends are asleep. (laughs) It would be a little bit annoyed. You know, there's no mystery as to why these disciples fail. You know, in the New Testament, in our story, we, we focus on Judas's betrayal and, and Peter's denial, but they all fail. They all run away. They all deny him. They all leave him alone in his time of need. 
And there's no mystery as to why that happened. Listen to me, lesson number five. Prayer is essential to faithfully and successfully walk with God through this world. We will not be ready for moments of truth if we have not readied ourselves in prayer. So when, when do I go through moments of truth? You go through them every day. You, you go through moments of truth all day long. Will I tell the truth? That's a moment of truth. Will I say, you know, we've challenged our youth this weekend, but is this not a challenge that every single and married adult in this room needs to take on? Will I be sexually pure? Will I live by God's standard of the sexual relationship? Boy, we have those moments of truth in our society all of the time. Will I follow after my friends, the culture, the business practices of the world? Or will I follow God? Will I follow His Word? We walk through moments of truth every moment of our life. And we will not be successful if we're not praying. Righteous living and following after the Savior does not just happen. Pray. In the passage there, there's a little phrase that gets a lot of attention. It says, Jesus, when he was praying, his sweat was like drops of blood. We usually understand that. We usually teach it. I have to say that, that as Jesus was praying, he literally began to bleed. There is actually a, a, a medical condition, a physical condition under such extreme duress and anguish that this kind of thing can happen. Very rare. I would certainly assume what Jesus is going through would qualify for duress and anguish. I do think it's interesting to note in the Scripture, though, well, we've always got to go back and say, am I actually reading Scripture? Because the Scripture doesn't say he was bleeding. It said his sweat was like drops of blood. Either way, I know this for sure. Lesson number six. Real prayer is real hard. Don't you see that there? Real prayer is real hard. Too many of us are asleep. Way too many of us. In a world where the temptation never, never stops. And we're asleep. And if we do pray, we want it to be easy. You know, give us a formula for prayer that, that we can do this whole thing in about three minutes. It costs nothing. There's no stress. There's no burden. We just pray and poof, out pops wonderful answers. I, I don't see the scripture ever give us that prayer. Real prayer is real hard. But look what it produced. This was the prayer. This was the moment that Jesus used before he entered the moment of all time. You will never, ever, ever have a weekend like Jesus is getting ready to enter. And not only did he walk through it, not only did he survive, 
He came out the other side, the glorified, resurrected Son of the living God. That prayer makes a difference. And that same prayer, that same opportunity is available to you and to me. Jesus does not have something here in the Garden of Gethsemane that you do not have. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to absolutely contradict myself. I say real prayer is real hard. But what's Jesus doing here? You know, we look to prayer. Is there a formula to pray? Is there, you know, are there certain words to say? I find prayer so difficult. I don't know what to do. What's Jesus doing? He's just talking to his dad. And you know, by believing on Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we become children of God, which there go, therefore means you and I have the exact same opportunity to just talk to our dad. And look how honest he is. I don't, I don't, do you see any flowery religious words in Jesus' prayer? Dad, I don't want to do that. And if there's another way, I'm pretty sure we covered it in eternity past, but if there's another way, I'm sure open to it right now. But dad, I want what you want. He just talks to him. The story's not here just to let us know what was happening before Jesus was arrested. Easter brings us this story to call you and to call me to prayer. But not just to prayer, but to call us to surrender. And doesn't Easter tell us that to surrender to God is safe. When you surrender to God, you win. Let's pray.